It's summertime, so that means it's beach season. season. Who are my beach people? Yeah, you see the ones that look sad that they're not there today. Those are, those are my beach people. I'm with you. I'm one of you. We are united in, in spirit and heart uh, because I want to be at the beach today too. And just about every day I want to be at the beach. If you go to the beach, uh, if it's a public beach, typically uh, there are lifeguard stands. And lifeguard stands all use the same signals to let us know if there are problems in the water. There are flags. Uh, they, they have green, yellow, and red, which are fairly easy uh, to figure out. But they have a, a dark blue or purple flag. Anybody seen the dark blue purple flag? Yeah, that's a bad flag uh, when you get to the beach and the dark blue purple one is flying because that flag means that there's dangerous marine life that has been spotted in the water. Uh, anything from sharks to stingrays, uh, to jellyfish. Uh, we went to Destin last year. We went to the Gulf last year. Normally we go to South Carolina because that's where our family is. That's where we're going this year. But, but last year we, we made a trip to the Gulf. And as we were getting ready, the weeks leading up, there were all of these warnings. The, the purple flag was out and it wasn't sharks and it wasn't stingrays. Uh, it was what they called sea lice, which is a Great name, isn't it? Like sea lice. This is what sea lice is. Sea lice is jellyfish larvae that float through the water. Um, apparently, they look like pepper, little black specks of pepper floating through the water. The problem is when they get close to you, they get in your swimsuit and they do unspeakable things inside of your swimsuit uh, that we won't discuss or show pictures of. Um, fortunately for us, we somehow avoided the sea lice, which I, I want to avoid sea lice my entire life. Um, but we avoided it that particular year. Some people were not so lucky. So you got the purple flag, which could mean sea lice, which you might want to stay away from. But then you have the green flag, which means, hey, everything's good, everything's clear, waves are calm, no undertow, no riptides, have a blast. Get out there, swim around, splash, make noise. Then you have the yellow flag, which is usually what they fly, I don't know, just insurance purposes or whatever. It's like always code yellow, it seems. But that means there's some danger, you need to watch what you're doing, you need to be careful. And then the ultimate, like the red flag, maybe there's a storm offshore, but for whatever reason, the, the, the waves are rough and the current is strong. You could be pulled under by the undertow, the current, or maybe there's a riptide. You get in the riptide, it's just going to pull you right out to sea before you know anything. And so you want to pay attention to the red flag. The thing is, you don't have any choice over what the current is when you show up at the beach. Like, nobody gets to choose it. You plan your vacation months in advance, right? You don't get to pick. We want a yellow flag. The whole time we're there, we're picking yellow flag for the third week of July. You don't get to pick the current. You show up, the current is what the current is, and you have to take precautions to make sure the current doesn't get you. When we get to, the, to Philippians chapter 4, beginning in verse 4, Paul is waving this big red flag to the people at Philippi and to us. He's waving this big red flag to say, life has this undertow to it. Life has this pull to it. And if you're not careful, you will get sucked under by this particular pull. The waves are rough. 
Life's going to be rough sometimes. There are going to be tragedies. There's going to be struggles. And if you're not careful, life will tug you under, suck you under. And so he's waving this flag to them to say, watch out. Be careful. You don't get to choose all of the circumstances of your life. You don't get to choose where, how high the waves are. Sometimes they're going to be really high. Sometimes it's going to be calm. You don't get to choose. But there are things that you can do to keep from getting pulled under. We've been studying this book of Philippians. And one of the things we know is the waves were real for Paul and the Philippians. I mean, Paul's in prison. Paul doesn't know if he's ever going to get out. Paul has a little bit of concern that he's going to get executed at the end of this. And he, and he feels like it, if that's the course, it could happen at any day. The people in Philippi have all of these pressures on them, all of this stress that they're dealing with because they're living completely different from the rest of their culture. Like they, they aren't liked, they aren't loved, people aren't applauding their life. And so they're both dealing with really honest, true pressure, current, and Paul's waving the flag saying, hey, you don't, you don't have to get sucked under by that. You don't have to get pulled under by that, and let's be honest, it feels that way for us sometimes too. Like struggles are real, life is real, circumstances, situate waves are real. That tug towards discontent, towards frustration, towards discouragement, towards depression, uh, towards anger. All of that is real, but it doesn't have to overwhelm our life. And that's Paul's message. Because Paul, Paul, I think, knows what a steady diet of frustration does to us. Paul, Paul knows what eventually those situations do to how they wear down our emotions, how they wear down our defenses. And so he's going to say, hey, let me give you some suggestions for not getting swept up in this undercurrent. I'm going to read from Philippians 4, 4 in just a second. But here's the theme. Here's the theme of what Paul's going to tell us and what I'm going to say to you in the next 25 minutes. It's this. Joy, living above this undercurrent, joy is more a choice than chance. Joy is more a choice than chance. Allowing for the fact that sometimes our emotions do what they do and our chemicals in our brain do what they do and, and, and it's not just snap out of it. Allowing for all of that. Paul and I are going to say this morning, you know what, really living with a sense of deep fulfillment and contentment and joy is often more a matter of the choices that I make and not a matter of chance that I just happen to end up in the right situation. And sometimes that's the way we think of joy. We think of joy as, well, if I were in a different situation, of course I'd be happy. If I had a different job, if I made what that person made, if I drove the kind of car that that person drove, if I were married to who they were married to, I would be happier. We have these thoughts of, if I could just get in a different situation, then my life would be better. I would be happier. Paul's going to argue, the Bible argues, I'm arguing, that joy's really not a matter of all those little chance situations. Joy's a matter of the choices that you and I make. In our life, this is what Paul says, Philippians 4, chapter 4, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord no matter what your situation is, all the time. 
no matter what the waves are, no matter what flag is flying, no matter what the current is or the undertow is, rejoice in the Lord always. This is not the first time Paul has said this in this letter. As a matter of fact, he keeps coming back to it. I haven't landed on it because I knew we were going to get to it today. But here's just an example from chapter 1, verse 18. Paul's talking about being in prison. Paul's talking uh, about people that have turned against him. And in verse 18, he says, I will continue to rejoice. I'm just going to make this choice. I'm just going to make the choice to continue to live out of joy versus living out of anger and discouragement. I'll continue to rejoice. Chapter 2, verse 17. I am glad and rejoice with all of you, so you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Come on, let's do this together. Like, not just me. I'm going to have joy. I'm inviting you. Come on, make the decisions that you need to make for you to have joy as well. First verse of chapter 3. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it's a safeguard for you. Paul's very self-aware, and he knows. I keep saying this over and over. I know it's, I sound like a broken record, but I'm just going to keep saying this because you need to hear it, and I need to hear it. I want you to rejoice. I want you to live with joy. Now, now why? Why all of this repetition for Paul, for the Philippians, for us, there is that constant undertow, and that constant tug for discontent, discouragement, anger, negativity. There's that constant pull on our life. And Paul knows one of the ways to counter that is to keep hearing over and over again, you need to live with joy. You need to live with joy. You need somebody to remind you over and over again. You need to live with joy. You need to live with joy. And this isn't a flippant comment by Paul. Paul's not saying, well, just get over it. He's not saying that. He's not saying, well, just be happy. Paul has already said, I know we all are living in difficult circumstances. I know the waves are high. I'm just telling you. You get to choose whether or not you live with anger and resentment and negativity and bitterness or whether you live with joy. But... You're going to need to hear it over and over and over and over again. So Paul says, I'm just going to tell you over and over again. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Like Life in general, our, our enemies working against us, circumstances in life, destroy, kill, discontented, anger, negativity, resentment. Jesus said, I, I'm here so that you can experience something far greater than that, like a full, deeply satisfying life that you would experience in the midst of the waves and the current and the undertow, that you would experience joy. But joy is more of a choice than chance. Paul believed that we all need joy reminders in our life. Paul believed the Philippians needed to hear it again and again and again. And that's true of us. We need people and places and activities that continually speak into our life. Hey, fill your heart with joy. Fill your outlook with joy. And you probably have people who are like that for you. You probably have activities that are like that, circumstances that are like that. 
when we go for periods of time without building that into our life, then we get depleted, right? We get run down. Joy starts leaking out of our lives. So, so my question for us is, how do we strategically keep joy reminders in our life? Like, what is the answer for you? Because my answer would be different from yours. Your answer would be different from the person sitting next to you. What do you do to strategically keep people activities in your life that remind you to be joyful. Maybe that means getting to your calendar and putting those things in or scheduling those people in. Maybe it's what we listen to. Maybe it's what we read. Uh, Maybe it's who we're around. We strategically build into our life continual reminders to be people of joy. That's what Paul was to the Philippians. Now, it's interesting that the word rejoice that he uses is a verb. It's, it's, Paul's telling them to do something. He's not telling them to feel something, which is what we often think of when we think of joy. Well, I've got to feel the right way. I've got to have the right emotion. Paul doesn't speak at all of emotions or feelings. Paul says, no, I want you to do things that cause you to have joy. I want you to do things that will cause you to rejoice. Most of the time, we act our way into feeling quicker than we feel our way into acting. Most of the time, we make choices that bring emotion rather than trying to change our emotion that will cause us to act in specific ways. Paul's saying, look, do the things. Be with the people who will bring joy to you. And specifically, he says, rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. Like, if you don't have any of those people... If you're not sure what those situations are, um, there's God. I mean, just remember that the creator of the whole universe created you. Like, he thought enough of you, purposed you, planned you, has his eye on you enough to bring you into existence and then send his son to die for you and then promise, like, you're never going to go anywhere without me. I'm going to always be with you no matter what you're in. I'm in it with you. And and I've prepared a place for you to spend eternity with me in this incredible place. You're going to spend forever there. It's like Paul saying, look, start there. Rejoice in the Lord. Know that God is in your life and at work in you. Choose to rejoice. Then after making this statement, Paul gives some suggestions for acts that will lead to greater joy. Choices that you and I can make that will lead us into joy. This is verse 5. Let your gentleness be evident to all the Lord is near. You want to rejoice? You want to know a choice that you can make that will help your joy level? Act with gentleness. Be characterized by gentleness. Now, the definition here for gentleness is to show an attitude of kindness where there's an opportunity for retaliation. Again, this is a choice. Choosing to respond with graciousness, choosing to respond with kindness, when other people would say you are well within your rights to retaliate, you are well within your rights to speak up and defend yourself, and maybe you are, but there are sometimes, Paul says, you know what, you should walk away. Because responding's not going to bring joy into your life. 
defending, retaliating, getting even, getting back is not going to produce joy in your life. It's the old saying that you don't have to show up for every argument you're invited to. Like You don't have to respond to everything. You don't have to join every internet thread. Right? You don't have to comment on every Facebook post. You don't have to get in the middle of everything. That's, that's what Paul's saying. You could retaliate. Like You could jump in. You could go toe-to-toe. But what's that going to do for your joy? Let your gentleness be known to everyone. And some of us maybe lack joy because we're so quick to get into the middle of things. Like we're so quick to respond, we're so quick to defend, we're so quick to retaliate, we're so quick to post. When every time we do, it just moves us into another layer of conflict and anger and defensiveness. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near, he adds. The Lord is near. The Lord is near maybe has a couple of meanings for us. One is, the Lord is near with me, restraining me in those circumstances if I let Him. Like some of us need restraining sometimes when we want to respond. I I think Paul is saying, look, I I know this isn't going to be natural for some of you. Some of you, your personality is going to be to fire back, but here's what I want you to know, God's there to help you. God's there to kind of pull the reins, but if you'll let him, if you'll submit to him, God will be a restraining force in your life to help you just walk away, to help you just leave it, to help you go on about your business and be happy and be peaceful and to be joyful. If you'll just walk away from the conversation, the Lord is near to help you do that. But this Lord is near also has the, the connotation of I'm like, Jesus is coming back one day. Your life's going to end one day. My life's going to end one day. I'm going to stand before God one day. And, and, and maybe it won't be important on that day that I've responded to every detractor on that day. Maybe it won't be important on the day that I stand before God that I responded to everything on the Internet and I set everybody straight, and I let everybody know what they ought to think and what their opinion ought to be. Maybe on that day, living a life of joy and peace that draws other people to Christ, maybe that's going to be more important than me responding to every single argument. But your gentleness, your restraint your graciousness, your kindness. Be evident to all. The Lord is near. Here's his next choice that you can make in verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. Do not be, don't worry about anything. Anything, whatever, whatever your, but what about this is, Paul covered that with the word anything. But the, I'm dealing with this, but you don't know this person, but you don't. Paul just said anything, anything that comes up. Anxiety is not the approach that you need to take. And anxiety is one of the biggest enemies of joy in our life. Like worrying, 
being anxious, stressing over things is one of the things that sucks joy out of our lives the quickest. It's not that there weren't things to be anxious about. We always want to think that our situation's different. There were plenty of things to be anxious about for both Paul and for the people of Philippi. And yet, in that environment, Paul said, I want you to choose to not worry. I want you to choose to not worry. Worry is not only an attitude that steals joy. Worry is one of the clearest examples that we just don't trust God. Worry is one of the clearest examples of our faith level and the fact that there's not much faith there. Jesus is in a boat uh, with his disciples. The storms come in. The waves are real. The wind's real. The, the threat is real. The disciples are freaking out. They're panicking. And finally, Jesus comes and calms the storm. And the one thing he comments about for them is, you have so little faith. Worry, anxiety, stress is a mirror of the fact that I'm just not trusting God. Like I just don't have faith that God's going to handle this the right way. And so I've got to be anxious about it. And, and Paul says, if you want to make a choice that leads to greater joy, choose not to worry. Choose not to stress. Choose not to be anxious and then he, then he tells us what to replace it with. Instead of worrying, instead of having stress and anxiety, Paul says, give that to God. Like, pray about it. Like, transfer your worry over to God. God, I'm going to give this to you. I'm going to give my anxiety over to you. And then find something to be grateful for from God. He says, pray with thanksgiving. So instead of worrying, I'm making a choice. I'm going to give my anxiety over to God. Sometimes I have to do that over and over again because it keeps coming back. I'm going to give my anxiety over to God, and then I'm going to find something, anything that God has put into my life, and I'm going to be grateful. Because gratitude chases away worry and ushers in joy. That, God, I know this is a good thing in my life. I could spend the rest of my day thinking about this thing that's bad and might not work out, or I could spend the rest of my day thinking about this good thing that you've put into my life. Paul says, just trade. Trade your anxiety for gratitude. Trade your worry for what God has put into your life. It's not ignoring the problem. It's, it's not ignoring the par- problem. It's just admitting that God's better at handling the problem than I am. God's better at taking care of the situation than I am. It's admitting that All these things that I'm worried about may not even happen, right? Don't we worry about a lot of things that never even happen? And Paul is saying, don't waste that time. Give whatever it is over to God and take back from him something that you can be grateful for. Verse 7, Paul starts with the word and. What he's saying is, if you're rejoicing, like if you're building this into your life, you have these joy reminders in your life, If you're characterized more by gentleness than retaliation, if you're handing worry and anxiety anxiety over to God and finding something to be grateful for, this is what will start to take place in your life. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 
Okay? This is not something Paul's telling us to do. Paul's saying, this will happen if you do these other things. If you rejoice, if you, if you refuse to show up for every fight, if you're constantly putting off worry and anxiety and it's in its place being grateful, if you're practicing that, God's peace will start to guard your mind. It's a military word, like a soldier, like a sentinel. Like God's peace is going to stand guard at your mind. You won't have to look for peace. You won't have to try to find peace. You won't have to try to be at peace. Paul says, peace will come find you when you rejoice, you respond with gentleness, and you get worry out of your life. That will become the characteristic of your mind and your life and your thinking. And who doesn't want peace? Right? And, and, and how much is our lack of joy connected to a lack of peace? Right? My, my question along these lines is, who wouldn't want that? Like, who wouldn't want a mind that's guarded by peace? Who wouldn't want this deep sense of joy in, in their life? And so... My question is, why wouldn't we at least try that? Why would, just as an experiment, if we're feeling sucked under by the stresses and undertow of life, why would we not give it a week or two weeks or a month where we just decided, you know what, God, I'm, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to find opportunities to, to be joyful. I'm going to respond in gentleness. I'm going to push worry and anxiety off on you and replace it with gratitude and see what happens. See what happens to my mind, to my outlook. Paul's got one more suggestion. One more suggestion when it comes to joy. And in my translation, verse 8 begins with the word finally, which is probably not a real good translation. It probably should say therefore or in light of this or it follows then, like the logical progression is this is another thing that's going to help. It follows then, brothers and sisters... Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Here's another choice you have. Instead of leaving joy, fulfillment, just up to your circumstances, here's a choice that you have, and it's the choice of what you're going to think about most of the time. Paul uses this word, whatever. So English translation, whatever, whatever's noble, whatever's lovely, whatever's admirable. It's like Paul's communicating, look, there's lots of things to be happy about. Like there's, there's lots of good things in the world. And I know we're zeroed in on that thing that's not great and that thing that might fall apart and that conversation that might not go well. And it's like Paul saying, yeah, but if you stepped back, if you got out of that sort of myopic view of your circumstances, if you stepped back, you would see that there's a whole lot of good stuff going on. Like whatever, whatever you can find that's beautiful, like whatever you can find that's admirable, that's where your thinking needs to hang out. And Paul's, Paul's almost saying, like, you don't even have to, have to over-spiritualize this. It, 
If you think about spiritual things, great. Like if, if your mind is on Jesus, fantastic. If your mind is full of God's word, that's fantastic. But it's like Paul is saying, look, a good God created this really good universe. And yeah, it's got some problems and there, there, there's some hardships and there's some things that aren't going right. But out of his good nature, he created this really awesome universe. So pick something and think about that versus the thing that you're anxious about and worried about. Again, it's, it's, it's not ignoring that there are problems. It, it, it's not a belief that everything is sunshine and lollipops, right? It's not, it's not Pollyanna. It's a choice. It's choosing that this is a reality. The waves are there. The current is there. But I'm not going to get sucked under by the current. Instead, I'm going to put my mind on things that are good and noble and admirable and every day, every minute, it's a choice. I mean, Paul presents our thought life as a real choice that you and I get to make every day or or even every minute. You really do get to choose where your mind lands. We don't always get to choose where our mind goes, but we get to choose where our mind stays. We get to choose where our mind hangs out. And Paul is saying, make the choice to set your mind on something that is good. You're going to deal with coworkers that you don't get along with during the day. Don't let them ride home with you in your mind, right? Don't let them eat dinner with you. You you have a difficult conversation with somebody tomorrow. Just don't have that conversation a thousand times today. You're going to have that conversation tomorrow. Whatever is good, find something and settle your mind on good and admirable and right and true and lovely and beautiful. If you want to live a life of joy, you got to make choices about where your mind stays. And then last thing in this section, whatever you've learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice And the God of peace will be with you. This is an amazing statement that Paul often made. He's made it in this letter already. He makes it in other letters. And essentially it's this. Just watch what I do and do that. Like if you want to get this, if you want to do this the right way, watch what I do and just do what I do. Listen to what I say and learn. Which on the one hand seems rather arrogant. Right? Like none of you would want somebody to come up to you tomorrow and say that to you. Like, hey, if you want to know how to do it, just watch me. I know how to do it. Like that sounds a little here. Well, Paul's already admitted he's not perfect, right? In chapter two, like uh, chapter three. I, I know I'm not there. I haven't achieved the goal. I'm not perfect. And yet he consistently says to his friends, let me help you know how to do that. Watch me. Listen to me. This, and we should spend a lot more time on this, but for now, this is what the Bible teaches for one of the ways that we grow up in our faith is that we watch people who are farther along in their faith than we are, that we model ourselves after people, that we find people who walk with Jesus and have the mind of Jesus and the attitude of Jesus and have joy in their life. And we watch what they do and we listen to what they say and we learn 
from that. We're very much a, I'm just going to do me society. Right? We're, we're very much, I'm just going to do my thing and you just do your thing society. And I get some of that. Maybe there's some positive in there somewhere. But the Bible says, no, you know what? We need each other. And, and I need to learn from people who, who have it down better than I do. And you need to learn from people who have it down better than you do. But at some point, if we're followers of Jesus, at some point, we should get to a place where we can say to people younger than us, either their age is younger or, or spiritually they're younger than us, we should say to them, look, I want to help you watch the way I do things. Listen to the way I speak. Listen, watch the way I handle something. And I'm not perfect. I'm not saying I get it right every time. I'm just saying, I, I'm farther down the road of walking with Jesus than you. Watch me. That's what Paul said. And he said it all the time in his letters. So the challenging question is to ask, would you say that to somebody? I mean, you're at a point where you would say that. And if not, what's keeping you from getting to that point? Spiritually, what's keeping you from saying to a 13-year-old, hey, watch my spiritual life and let God use that to encourage you? Or an 18-year-old or a college student or somebody in their early 30s who just gave their life to Christ, that you would come beside them and you would spend time with them and you would say, I want to help you. I'm not perfect, but watch me. Specifically, this area of joy. I mean, how much of your life could you put on display for other people to mimic? When you think of rejoicing in the Lord and responding with gentleness and putting worry aside and putting your mind on what is good and noble, how much of that could you say to somebody, hey, I've come a long way in this area. Watch what I do and see if it will help you. And if you can't, if you don't feel comfortable about that, what would it take for you to get comfortable and what would God have to do in you? What changes would you have to make? What new choices would you have to make so that the joy in your life would be a worthy example of somebody coming along behind you? Let's pray. God, we all live in this undertow of life and struggles and and brokenness and stress and things we fear may not work out and, and we're going to get up tomorrow morning and the waves are going to be crashing and the riptide's going to be pulling out towards discouragement and negativity and anger and frustration and discontent it's just going to be pulling it's always pulling thank you Almost 2,000 years ago, Paul waved this big red flag to say it doesn't have to suck you under. It doesn't have to rob you of joy and satisfaction. It doesn't have to rob you from all the goodness that God intends for you. Thank you that Jesus said, you have an abundant life. Not free from problems, not free from struggles, but in the struggle, you can be a person of joy. So much so that other people could look at you and learn. Make us those people. Help us to be those people 
that others would look to and go, how does she do it? How, how does he do it? I know life's not perfect for them. How do they do it? Let me just speak to you while your eyes are closed and heads are bowed. This sort of ongoing joy is, it's more than a personality thing. It's, it, it's more than a mind over matter. That's why I'm so glad Paul said, hey, the Lord is near. Because Paul knew we needed help with that. And the power to live this way comes by being in relationship with Jesus. Having our sins forgiven because Christ died and rose again for us. Being reunited with our Heavenly Father. That's, that's the power that's necessary to live these words out. I mean, honestly, what Paul's talking about is impossible. Outside of God's power. If you've never come into relationship with Jesus, that's step one. It's a step, that's the first choice to make in this process is coming to him and saying, God, I need you. I, I've disobeyed you and I, I want to be made right through Jesus. I want to give my whole life and trust it to Jesus Christ. I want to live for him. And if you've never done that, do that today. In your own words, express your desire to, to come into a relationship with God through Jesus. And I'd love to talk to you more about it. I'll be in the lobby afterwards. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to help you through that step. God, thank you that with Jesus coming into our life, joy really is possible in all circumstances. No matter the tide or the seas or the storms. Help us to make the choices that we need to make to live the abundant life. I pray it in Jesus' name.